I never had to drive out to the forests of the Pacific Northwest to be taunted by the ghosts of my past in the Black Lodge. It was already lying there, waiting for me every time I laid my head to rest at night. No amount of world-famous slices of cherry pie or damn fine cups of coffee could keep me away from the tantalizing visions I saw when the moon was high and the owls roamed free in the skies. I sought love, courted death, suffered loss, and pleaded for redemption. But there was none left for me. I heard music, but it must have been a requiem for my band as it teetered towards the abyss, perhaps for the final time. Oh, brother, it's gonna be one of those shows. Play the music already. It was 2009, a time for rebuilding the world. We had recorded Intergeden during a self-imposed exile after the harsh, critical reaction to our second album, The Walrus Chronicles. It was during this productive time that I saw her, Samantha. While MFUJ always reluctantly called ourselves musicians, despite evidence of the contrary, Sam was the real deal. If music was a war, her six-string was her weapon of choice. Boy, was she lethal with that thing. She could run circles around our no-hit wonder brick with one arm tied behind her back. After the maelstrom of alienation and depression that was my adolescence, I had built a wall around my heart. It's no coincidence they call me Brick. Ah, jeez. Don't lay the cheese so thick. It's bad for my cholesterol. For reasons I still can't comprehend, I let myself fall for her. Every instinct I had was telling me not to, but I had already found myself in the Black Lodge, and the music was playing. someone else before. We were ready to begin working on our follow-up to Intergeden when Brick showed up to the recording studio and played the song he had written for Samantha, the lovely brunette guitarist he had shared a stage with at the university where we took a poetry workshop. I thought I was a hopeless romantic until I heard this song. Now I know it might seem like an old cliche, but I don't know how else I can say I love you. Round and played in aviators from San Francisco Bay. Saving from disaster in shadows there me. Yeah, Rick got on mushy for this demo, right? But what I enjoyed was the solo. 
Not the one that ended up on the album, but the alternate take. The original version of the song makes me cringe to this day. No wonder that they never talked to him again. Now won't you play your guitar for me? surrounded by endless rows of red curtains, trying to find my love, but found only despair with each attempt. The music had stopped. The nightmare had begun. With a deadline looming over us, I presented the band with a song I had been working on about my great-grandfather who fought during the Russo-Japanese War. Let me tell you a story about a man named Kedja. About the same age I am, he was a kind young man with only love in his heart. He cherished the Russian summers and thought even the winters played their Those who knew him best saw benevolence in his soul. And for the woman he loved above the rest, he would do anything, no matter the toll. This was my attempt at an Iron Maiden-style epic. Russian in 1904 Oh, it wasn't a good thing to be The Tsar's empire had other plans It was knocking on his door The furball presented me with this war epic and told me I had to both sing and play guitar since Brick was M.I.A. Well, I got to business. Behind the foggy scope, the sniper washed them well. Picking off the officers in his human hell. Confession has no place when two empires clash. The poor men died young, leaders grew old and fast. For months on end. subject matter so that Brick could get his mind clear again. The sounds of battle were a pleasant distraction from the melodrama brewing in Brick's mind.
forced to fight a battle he didn't want to be a part of proved to be an apt metaphor for the band trying to deal with our leader's turmoil and angst. The wind whistled with her name on its tongue. My dreams weren't safe, and I felt as if I were going blind. After we recorded the second track, we tried getting Brick back in the studio. He was just rambling and sobbing, and it wasn't a pleasant sight. Not by a long shot. Brick kept mumbling about how everything was fading to gray around him. And I started to roll with the idea. Fade to gray, fade to gray. say, I was impressed with Slate's initiative. Brick was still only half coherent, but he was able to play guitar as Slate voiced the struggles Brick was going through. He tied together the idea of slowly going blind to losing touch with the world, especially the one you care about most. I struggle with street signs in urban places. Shuffle around in seas of strange faces Friends and loved ones are distant strangers Are in living with clandestine dangers I remember the dark hallway. I saw her standing at the other end. But no matter how I tried to reach out to her, she only got further and further away. The darkness was laughing, and I could see no more. Youth wasted and madness pushed me closer to blindness. My waning perception becomes sightless conception. My life is a dark hallway Where at least I dare not say I once thought I saw a light A beautiful female sight As I drew nearer to the love I thought would get me through Samantha proved to crap for me Scorched my eyes with lies to see yeah. The band was at its nadir Nothing seemed to be able to get Brick out of his depressed haze, and the rest of the group's morale was plummeting to an all-time low. We still needed one more song, and it didn't help that Gmod was verbally abusing us to complete the record before Labor Day. I was a perfect gentleman. I have no idea what that pretentious ape is talking about. I am a sick man. I am my own. 
disease. Not the man I'm supposed to be. Just an actor without a stage. Was way too damn jaded for his young age. We were all feeling a sense of dread and hopelessness. We were locked in the studio and had little choice but to trudge forward. Shadow pushed us forward with notes from the underground. The medley that closes the album. My favorite game is self-sabotage. Been playing since I would learn to walk. My thoughts so dark, they make you balk. This so-called life is cruel mirage. Whatever you do, don't call me brick or slate. Tiger Man and Shadow aren't real either. They're just four bastard kids from a crazy father. My stepped up journey, I foresaw my own cruel fate. It's not that bad is what you said to me, but depression's a cancer that devours the soul. He channeled Brick's heartache, disillusionment, and self-destruction and tried to structure it in a way that there might be some silver lining in this storm cloud that was drowning us. Oh yeah, I have worn a suit of armor protect me from this world I love which will destroy me now I'll silence Spectre floating class to class just passing through That last song Yeah, we really opened up a vein of insecurity and failure with that one. Brick was riding again, and Shadow was pulling the strings so that he wouldn't accidentally hang himself on them. As far as we knew, this was the end. We didn't even know if we existed anymore in Brick's eyes. Is there nothing left for me? Nothing left at all? But the silent stares of my peers And the uncomfortable silence of it all The crimson curtains were setting And I needed to let go Before I was lost in the abyss for good Bob was looming tall And my soul was up for grabs Not to be confused with Microsoft Bob For all you 90s PC lovers out there Jane Samantha, Vivian, it seems that all my struggles to be the one end with me being taken into the night, crying out for the one I love, hearing only the hooting of owls. It's so dark in here, in the Black Lodge. All these ghosts of my failures give me no rest, and redemption eludes me still. I slip into a dream. I was transformed into Agent Dale Cooper, and I was going back in time to the 1990s, Smith College, to be precise. While walking around the verdant landscape of the campus, I stumbled upon a co-ed mixer in a cafeteria where gals and guys attempted to find spouses. I sat down at the table next to a pretty Asian gal, but across the table, amongst the crowd, was the spitting image of my muse. I'm surprised, because I didn't expect to see her there and then. The woman next to me flirts with me to see if there's any connection, but I'm intrigued 
by Why My Muses in the 1990s. The woman gets my thumbprint and starts announcing that we are married. I freak out and try to undo this by shouting and screaming and pleading with the crowd. In the process, my muse disappears from the table. I demand that the lady running the mixer event tell me where my muse disappeared to. I am even bold enough to use her name, to cry out for Vivian. And to my surprise, they recognize the name. It was my muse, after all, in some strange cosmic coincidence. I plead for them to tell me where she went, but they try to stonewall me. Eventually, the sheriff from Twin Peaks agrees to help me find her. We leave the cafeteria, where the mixer was and explore the rest of the building. I'm tempted to share all the technological advances of the last 20 years with him, and snap my fingers to demonstrate how quickly we can accomplish all sorts of things. But he seems confused, and I don't try to push my luck any further in order to not compromise my identity as a time traveler. The sheriff falls asleep on a nearby couch while I'm attacked by a literally demonic doll in the shape of an infant. It's at this point I've realized that I am all alone. I have no backup. I manage to defeat the creature, but I am losing my muse's trail. I finally reach the front door of the building, and I see Laura Palmer's cousin, Maddie, at the front door, meeting her date. It's at this point I'm certain that I'm not going to find my muse. My window has closed, and I wake up distraught. The sheriff, who was likely to be my closest ally in this strange place, seemed distant and distracted. Reality was beginning to fold on itself and become more Twin Peaks than the actual past I traveled to. Why was my muse even in the late 90s as an adult? She was too young to have been in college then. So was I, even though I'm a few years older. Was the universe messing with me? Was I destined to get trapped in the past because of this trick? What would happen if anyone saw the iPod Touch I had in my pocket? Would that ruin the past even further? And why were they setting up marriages in the cafeteria? Did I end up in some weird alternate timeline? All I hear are whispers in the dark from the one I love. Whispers in the dark, whispers in the dark, whispers in the dark from the one I love. Is the falcon truly dead, or will it rise again? Bye-bye. Copyright 2017, Mike's Effed Up Journey.